You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times, with A.J. Swoboda and E.J. Gupta. Welcome back. In this episode, we're going to actually kind of go back to fundamentals. You know, in Slow Theology, we want to talk about um, the goal, the direction, the formation of the Christian life. Some of you who've been on the journey for a while were with us with the kind of first iteration of this, which was in faith and doubt. Um, and that was a lot of that had to do with walking through disappointment with God, with the church, deconstruction as it's popularly called. And a lot of it is disassembling unhealthy parts of what we were taught um, in our earlier faith. And we transitioned to slow theology because um, we had kind of felt like we'd come to the end of that uh, cycle of our discussions. We'd said pretty much everything we wanted to say on the subject of de- deconstruction and doubt. I still recommend students check out AJ's book, After Doubt. Um, but what I want to talk about today, AJ, is the goal of the Christian life. Because I don't know if you're noticing this for yourself, but I'm noticing... Um, People are starting to come back to church, um, you know, with the pandemic and everything. I feel like we're getting into some normal rhythms. Maybe people aren't going to church every Sunday, but people are coming back. At the same time, it can almost feel like we're going to step back into the rut that we may have been in before the pandemic of just kind of being stagnant in our faith, being stagnant in going through the rhythms, you know, getting your kids ready, getting them to church, you know, hand them off to the pastors, take them back, take them home, eat lunch, watch TV, go to sports, whatever it is. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about this question, which, you know, we should all have some answer to, but I find myself kind of pondering anew, what is the goal of the Christian life? Like, what what should we, um, is there something that we're actually aiming towards? Or is it this sort of iterative routine? I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to pray. Like, I hate driving without GPS. Like, my my family makes fun of me because even places I've been to before, I'll still put on the GPS and destination, mostly because it'll show traffic and it'll show how long but mostly because I just love seeing the route. (laughs) I just love seeing beginning and destination. Even if I've been there a million times, I still do it. Um, I I have that yearning and that urgency to know where I'm going, which is why I've always loved school, right? Because you want to get to the end of the year and you want to get to the end of your degree and you want to get to, you know, you want to get your PhD, whatever it is. Uh, I'm wondering if some of us have had the wrong goals in our Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe our goals have been um, to know everything, which may have been one of my seminary goals. I didn't achieve it, by the way. Uh, maybe our goal is to please God with what we're doing. Hey, God, I'm going to do the best Christian stuff. and You'll be so happy with me. Um, maybe you have no goals at all. Uh is this something you think about, AJ? I mean, it's it's. I know I should have like an easy, ready-made answer. I I do have some Bible stuff I can just throw at you. But how would you, if, if someone comes into your office or someone comes into your church and asks you, "What's the goal of the Christian life?" Is it immediately obvious to you in a way that isn't to me? 
Um, so, Nija, when we when we choose in the green room, when we choose what topics we're going to do, um, it's worthy worthy to be said that that these topics are not topics that you and I choose months in advance. You and I pick these fairly soon right. before we we record, and I, I say that to say that. I think that of all the conversations we're going to have, this is the best one that's not scripted. Mm-hmm. I love this conversation as it relates to being on the spot because because the truth is that um, this this conversation uh, is really, really, really an intimate part of our everyday experience because we are becoming what we desire. I have a, a book yeah. coming out in the next year on the topic of desire. And <clears throat> how do we actually know what we want? How, if, if I was to say to somebody, what do you want with your life? How do you find out what that is? What are the things that orient us? Or what the Bible would say, what are the things that we worship, which are our, 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 our terminal desires? They're the things that we really want. And more than anything, I think the thing that helps us discern what we desire, what we want, our goal is to, to name the things that we're disappointed with. Yeah. Because when you name your disappointments, you're talking about your pain, but that pain is always connected to what you were aimed at, what you wanted. A disappointment and a desire are intimately related. They are bedfellows. They can't exist without each other. Every disappointment is a, is a desire unmet. It is some desire that has been wounded or harmed or scarred that doesn't get what it wants. So <clears throat> I think a lot of Christians are disappointed, but they're disappointed because ultimately they have lost touch with this very question, what the goal of the Christian life is. Yeah. Because because if we are disappointed that we're not getting everything we want, that our marriage is not as happy as we wanted, as we're not making as much money as we want, if we're disappointed, that is because our desire was hitched to the wrong thing. So knowing this, what the goal of the Christian life is, couldn't be more important uh, because it, it is, you know, it is what we were made for. And I think ultimately for me, it's summed up in Jesus's words in um uh, it, it, near the end of John's gospel, when Jesus says that Jesus came, that we would have eternal life. Hmm. Now, I often hear this idea of eternal life used as a sort of um, catch-all phrase for just all the things that we want, that eternal life is a life filled with all the stuff you want, right? <laughs> and and that's that's not – when Jesus says that Christ came to bring eternal life, that he came to bring eternal life. He doesn't even come close to suggesting that. Uh, in fact, he goes out of his way to say that eternal life is to know him and the one who sent him. Yeah. Now, that that that's that's not about stuff. That's not about things, position, power, reputation. It is about a relationship with the divine person, personhood of God, yeah. the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, relationship. And I think that actually when you look at the storyline, the, the big picture of the Bible, this is played out in how we see God's face in the Bible. And I, I in an earlier podcast, I alluded to this, but it, it bears repeating here, that when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, the humans had face-to-face relationship with God. They lived in intimate relationship with God in His glory. And when they are 
no longer in the presence of God as a result of disobedience and rebellion. They are banished. And Sandra Richter, as, as an Old Testament scholar at Westmont, has um, pointed out that the word banished in Hebrew is the same word as divorce. And the mm-hmm. idea here is that when they leave the Garden of Eden, it is a divorce. It is a breakdown of the intimacy that humans once had with God. And it is, you know, not a mistake that the way John describes the new heaven and new earth in Revelation is as a marriage. Heaven will come down to earth uh, and be prepared as a bride for the bridegroom. So you go from marriage to divorce to remarriage Mm. as the storyline of the entire Bible. That is eternal life. Eternal life is a restoration of our intimacy to God as made possible through the death, life, and resurrection of Christ. And so it's, it is, as my spiritual director would say, Christian life is above all things. It is learning how to enjoy God and be enjoyed by God. That would be my response. Now, I'm going to guess that, that you have maybe some alternative perspectives or a different way of seeing it. But what for you, Nijay, is the goal? the goal of the Christian life. You know, again, if we're looking back, I think I would say has something to do with um, knowledge, you know, insight uh, into spirituality, being able to say the right things about the gospel. I've been studying, it's interesting you've been studying desire because I've been studying emotions. And um, one thing I've found really fascinating, AJ, is how often uh, the biblical writers command emotions. Mm. So if we're just looking at Philippians, and I'm doing a magazine series on this right now, but if we're looking at Philippians, he tells them, rejoice. Uh, And many times Paul tells his writers, love one another. Uh, He'll say, don't be angry. He'll say, uh, Philippians 2, don't grumble, right? And often we say, emotions are spontaneous reactions. Like, you know, my wife likes to jump out of the corner and scare me sometimes. Uh, when I'm walking by and every time, you know, I'm going to go, you know, jump in the air and scream like a, you know, like a little girl. Um, and you know, she gets a kick out of that. I don't think the Bible's talking about that when it's commanding emotions. So sometimes I use a language of micro emotions, which are crying during a sad movie or getting mad when someone cuts you off on the road or, you know, when you stub your toe. But I think the Bible is sometimes talking about what I call macro emotions. I've been reading a book by a psychologist and a theorist named, his last name is Lazarus. And he wrote a book called Emotion and Adaptation. And the whole point of his book is to say our emotions, and I think he means our macro emotions, are a reaction to how we read our environment And whether we feel like our environment is going to help our life goals or is going to hinder our life goals. And so our emotions will be tailored to how we read the environment. So, for example, you know, let's say, AJ, we're together and you walk up, you walk, you straight face, you walk right up to me and you slap me in the arm really hard. My immediate reaction is going to be anger, like, what the heck, AJ, you're a jerk, you know. Then I look down and I realize you actually smacked a mosquito that was about to bite me. Mm. And now I have a different appraisal of the environment and I'm happy and I appreciate what you did. Same action, right? 
but I've appraised the environment differently. What what has gotten me down the road of thinking about is um, God doesn't just command know this more, right? He, he Philippians chapter one, Paul says, "My prayer for you is you may grow in knowledge and insight, uh, that your love may abound more and more." Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, knowledge actually has a goal, and the knowledge that we have, whether it's from preaching or from the classroom or from a book or from a conversation actually has the goal of love. And as I've been working on a book on love, I realized this is really the filter through which scripture views our spirituality. Love of God, love of self, love of friend, love of neighbor, love of stranger, and love of enemy. This is like a constellation of our network uh, of beings, right? And, you know, if someone is up in heaven taking notes about us, (laughs) Mm -hmm. some angel assigned to take notes on our spirituality, I firmly believe based on scripture, you know, look at, look at Deuteronomy, the Shema, love the Lord your God, look at Jesus teaching. I firmly believe that the metric, and it's not, you know, it's not earning your salvation. So don't, please don't anyone take it that way. But the metric is, is this person growing in love, which is, you know, you said that exact same thing when you were talking about it. And that's, that's very different mm-hmm. than saying the goal is to be right. Yes. The goal is to have full knowledge. I was thinking about this while I was driving. My whole career has been based on knowledge. And what does Paul say? Knowledge puffs up, love mm-hmm. builds up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but if that's the focus of our religion, then, you know, I think Paul's way of saying knowledge puffs up to us, that means you become a jerk. <laughs> I think that's yep. what he's saying. Yep. And love builds up. So, AJ, whenever I'm, I'm guessing, whenever you and I look at a person in the Christian faith that we really admire, that we say, I want to be like that person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we have a mutual love for our, for our mentor, Morris Dirks. He gets a shout out about every four or five episodes, yeah. so it's time. But, uh, you know, I don't love Morris because he's brilliant. He is brilliant. Uh, I admire and I respect him because he shows maturity in love. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at my heroes uh, in the faith, um, I want to say about them: they love, they love their friends, they love their enemies, they love God. Um, I'm becoming persuaded that our churches and especially our seminaries don't do a very good job of teaching. With a goal of love. That's right. We, I feel like we teach with a goal of certainty. And I feel like often certainty prevents us from leaning into love. Because hmm. if certainty is the goal, then we're going to attack people that don't have the same convictions we have. Or, or can I rephrase it, Nijay? Being certain about the right thing. Um, meaning being certain about the love of God in Christ that we have rather than in some theological point or something like that. Sure. It's, it's different to say, I am certain that God loves me in Christ versus I am certain that my atonement theory is the only way to imagine all things, something to that effect. Yeah, so it's a I- rightly placed uh, certainty. Do you, (laughs) I might be getting too personal here, but do you ever do something like the prayer of examination? I remember doing this in seminary a little bit when we were willing to dabble in Catholic spirituality, which was rare. 
Um, and I, and I started doing this more recently, but for those listening, the prayer examination, you're praying by yourself or in a group. I've done this with our mutual friend, Mary Kate Morse, but the prayer examination really is self-reflection. Have I loved God? Have I known my being loved by God? Have I loved others? Have I withheld love from others and yes. so forth? It's not often expressed in that way, but that's the sentiment. Um, have you engaged in any of those practices? Do you find those beneficial? Yeah, most definitely just in different forms. I've never, the, the prayer of examine has never been a, um, it's never been a central part of the way that I pray. But I can tell you this, that a, each morning I spend 20 minutes in silence. And I do this intentionally. I learned this from our shared spiritual director and uh, from a number of, obviously, traditions in the church of practicing holy silence. And and part of the holy silence for me is that when I am quiet, it allows my true desires to come to the surface. I I personally, I find that usually what I really want doesn't come out unless I give it time. It's almost like going, being quiet. The rats don't come out until, you know, everybody's asleep in the silence. I find that a lot of my desires start coming up. A great example, this morning I woke up and spent some time in quiet and I just found myself overcome with jealousy towards a friend of mine who has just had a remarkable uh, career thus far. He's way younger than I am and he's killing it. He's making way better money than I am. Uh, He's universally praised and is, yeah, just killing it. And I've, and I, this AJ, morning, this sounds like me, except I'm older than you. Yeah. N- n- I'm not <laughs> describing you, but it's, it's, kidding. it's someone similar to you, um, younger. Um, but, but the reality is it was in the quiet that, that, yeah. that, that, that was able to come out. And what we're doing in those instances, the prayer of examine is a similar, uh, uh approach is that we are essentially allowing the Holy Spirit to interrogate our ultimate desires. Um, one of my favorite authors on this, of all people, was St. Augustine, who has, by the way, been called uh, the Apostle of Desire. Uh, yeah. A number of people that study Augustine have used that language, the, deci- the, the, the Apostle of Desire, the kind of the guy who's written some of the best stuff on, on desire. And uh, for Augustine, hit one of his core thematic ideas that reverberates in everything he writes is that we essentially become our goals. So the the thing that we truly want um, is the thing that we will ultimately bend our will towards. Um, Our desires, our ultimate desires are what we worship. There's a a non-Christian, there's a a, a guy that writes on desire who is not not a Christian uh, by the name of... um, uh, 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 his last name is Irvine. His book is called On Desire. And uh, William Irvine writes about what he calls the difference between terminal desires uh, and uh, what he calls instrumental desires. And the difference between these two is this. An instrumental desire is not something that we really want. It's something we desire so that we can get something else. Right. So, for example, if I if I love money, it's not that I love paper the way paper money feels in my fingers. <laughs> right. It's that I want power. I want right. I want happiness. And what it gets you, yeah, exactly. That's an instrumental desire. A terminal desire is the ultimate desire. It's the thing that we really, really, truly want. And here's why this is important: is often the thing that we are desiring is not the real thing that we desire. I remember I remember years ago when I was a kid, 
I remember when John Hinckley Jr. shot uh, President Reagan uh, five times uh, just outside that D.C. Hilton, uh, Washington, D.C. Hilton. And when he shot the president, Ronald Reagan, um, he shot five bullets. I think actually listeners who know history better than I, I think he only hit Reagan once or whatnot. But he shot five bullets. And everybody's like, why in the world would this guy hate Ronald Reagan? Like, what was his deal? And it turns out after the fact, everybody assumed he wanted to kill the president, when in reality, what he wanted to do was he had a a, a rotomaniac obsession with this beautiful 18-year-old actress by the name of Jodie Foster. And he wanted Jodie Foster to be impressed by his – by doing this because Jodie Foster had been critical of the president. And what he did – seemed like it was about killing the president when in reality it was to get the attention of somebody else. And that story illustrates for me um, why have entering a relationship with the Holy Spirit in an intimate way is so critical because the Spirit helps us know and see what our true motivations are. Am I doing theology and writing books because I want people to listen to my podcast? (laughs) <laughs> am I doing it because I want fame and glory and great honorariums? Or am I doing it because I want to serve God with the ideas in my head? And the tr- I think anybody that does the work that we'd, we would do would say, Nijay, there are times that our terminal desires are disoriented. They're, in, they're connected to the wrong things, to things that are not good. But that's what worship is. Worship is what we ultimately desire. And obviously, everybody worships something. It's impossible to be a non, uh, non-worshipper. So I think what I'm trying to say here, Nijay, is that the goal of the Christian life is to, over the period of, 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 over the period of our existence, allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify our desires to truly love God above all things. That's a hard thing to do. And I think the prayer of examine and silence are really healthy disciplines on that journey. You know, there's something hidden in, uh, you know, the, the the ancient Greek language, the language of the New Testament, but the language of ancient Greek in general, that um, reinforces what you're saying. And it's the fact that there's a Greek word, philos, or philia, which means love. And um, the Greeks like to attach it to words to talk about things that we would use other words for. So we would say greed, and they would say uh, love for gold, mm-hmm. right? They would say philogurion, love for gold. Um, and so philosophy, right, uh, is love of wisdom, mm. right? Uh, we have all these kind of philia words that come from Greek. And it's funny, the common word for competition uh, is a combination in Greek of philia and nikos, which means victory. So competition mm. is love for victory. Um, and it. so already the Greeks are down the road of understanding that our attachment to these things signal our loves, mm-hmm. uh, signal where our heart is. And, um, you know, th- the reason why the Bible commands love to God is not to say that we can conjure up love, but to get us to start to question what our, what our, what our lives are pointed at. Um, when I go to the grocery store, AJ, uh, I know my wife loves, uh, potted plants and flowers. And, uh, she's always said to me, um, I need low maintenance ones. Cause you know, you don't want to spend all this work into, you know, taking care of plants that may die. So I'm always looking for them. So I remember looking at this one plant and, and the instructions were, 
you have to turn it all the time because it'll grow so quickly towards the sun. You don't want to get it bent out of shape. So like every day you have to twist it a quarter turn the plant because it grows so fast towards the sun. And I just thought about how that's so similar to us as human beings. We're so quick to move our lives towards these loves that we have. I think of the work of Jamie Smith. You talked about Augustine and Jamie's done a lot of work on Augustine, but I really think it's true that when the scripture commands us to be angry at things or to be joyous at things or to love things at the same time, it's causing us to reevaluate what we actually care about. And AJ, it's showing how actually the goal of the right knowledge is to show affection for the right things. Yes. Yes. I never really got there because I had a very disembodied understanding of theology in my younger days. And I was taught that what really mattered is the mind. What really matters is what we quote unquote believe. Um, and the more I read the New Testament, the more I read the Bible, I realize um, love isn't just the motivation for what we do. It's not only the form of what we do. It actually is the manifestation. Yes of our spirituality, the manifestation of, of our maturity, um, the manifestation of our religion. Um, and that, that is, let me tell you why I think that's important because, um, I'm not meant to just feel good having sat through a sermon. Like, okay, I sat through a sermon. I did the thing I was supposed to do. Or like my kids love to be quizzed on, Bible trivia. <laughs> this is one of the consequences of being the child of a Bible scholar. You know, so we used to have Bible trivia night and I used to quiz them on things and they'd feel really good. <laughs> and it's fun to learn the Bible. But uh, if you stop there, right, it's kind of like stopping at the instrumental love, right? Yes. yes right. You're not getting to the final thing. And so, um, you know, we're wrapping up here, but from your opinion and perspective, how does how does knowing this, right, how does it actually change how we look at the goal mm-hmm. and the practices of the Christian life? Yeah. Well, the 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 book, I mean, the the guy who I think has nailed uh, this for me uh, was a German uh, scholar by the name of Helmut Tillichy. Yeah. Um, and Tillichy was, you know, a seminary professor uh, years ago, wrote uh, in the 19, I think it was 1962, he wrote a book called A Little Exercise for Young Theologians. It's one I of read my that. favorite books for young thinkers who are wanting to think about God. I would recommend the book highly to anybody who wants to think theologically and think really well. Hopefully, Kindle sales will go crazy after this episode. Um, but he he talks in the book about watching what happens in seminary when young people come into the classroom and their intellectual knowledge far outweighs the growth of their soul. Yes. And he and he says often what happens in these kinds of situations is that they develop a love for truth for the wrong reason. And he distinguishes the difference between what he calls a theology of love and diabolical theology. And he says diabolical theology is loving knowledge, right? It's loving the Hebrew and the Greek and big theology words, loving all that stuff. But the reason you love it is because you want power in the church, because mm-hmm. you want to people to be impressed, because you want your career to grow. And he says, but the difference between that and the theology of love is that 
a theologian of love is somebody who utilizes truth for the purpose of serving God first, not serving self. We will either love everything in our life as a way to serve God, or I should say we will take everything in our life as a way to serve God, or we will use God to serve everything in our life. And I think that the the end goal is that everything in our existence is given to us as an altar of worship, but we do not worship God to get what we want. We utilize everything we have to serve God. And I think it's the difference between a diabolical theologian and a theologian of love. Do we serve everything in our life as a way of loving God, or do we use God as a way to get everything we want? Yeah, just to wrap up, you know, I I, I think the word I keep coming back to uh, in terms of the goal of the Christian life is uh, knowledge is good, wisdom is good, practices are good, but ultimately it's about growing in that intimacy with God that that will lead us down that path of maturity and virtue. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, for someone like me, uh, you know, growing up the way I did and my kind of superficial understandings of spirituality in the church, um, that's a hard and new message, but it's also liberating because I don't need to know everything. I need to know enough to, to love God and neighbor more. That's yeah. a good message. Thanks, yeah. AJ. Thank you, Ninja.